Hello and welcome to the Flower Pot Podcast. My name is Bruce Langridge and my guest today is Bob Edwards. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bruce. How are you? I'm really good, Bob. Uh, now, you are, uh, I think you're, from all the people I've known in my time here at the Garden, Bob, you're um, kind of a unique character and you're a, a, a volunteer here. You've been volunteering for what we've now established is 21 years. And let's bear in mind the Garden only opened in 2000, so that makes you like one of our, probably one of our most long-lasting volunteers here. And uh, you've been a, particularly associated with the Apothecary Hall, but you've done other things as well. But you're about to retire. And so we think it's a really good time just to have a little chat with you before you retire. 21 years, pretty good stint, that one. I like right, that. thank you, Bruce. Yes, <laughs> So I've got a few questions here for you, Bob, just to sort of like try and chronologically pick our way through what you've been doing here and just give people a flavour of what you've done because it is so different from everybody else. Uh, I would probably call you a bard. Is, is, is a bard the right word for you? Um, I'm not sure whether I'm a bard or not. I, I do sing. I write. I have written songs. Uh, so amongst the medieval crowd that I associate with, I am called a medieval minstrel or bard, so it'll probably work. <laughs> okay, we'll come back to that in a bit then. But let's just go back to when you first... Uh, came to the Botanic Garden. That was in the 1990s, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. about 1999, I think, at the start. Um, I'd been made redundant under very good terms from a job, and I used some of my redundancy pay because the garden was just allowing a membership, life membership then. Uh, so I became an early life member. And in those days, volunteers hadn't developed. We were a lot of the members were doing things that the uh, volunteers would do now. For instance, if there was walks and talks for members only and invited groups, uh, it would tend to be us early members that would do it. Oh, right. Yeah, so, um, uh, and then eventually I finished my second job about 2000 and 2001 and immediately became a volunteer here because I was looking forward to doing it almost full time. Great. And so you weren't doing the apothecary hall at that time? No, I was doing all sorts of things. I was doing um, walking, yeah, walking tours, guided tours, which I really enjoyed. I did one of the earliest walks and talks of the double walled garden before it looked like what it is, where we went round with machetes the day before to hack out a path uh, and um, we had to wear yellow jackets and everything like that. Uh, in the great glass house, there's hardly any glass. Uh, there was um, Principality Car Park was all sheds with bits of things that are going to be put around the garden. So it was quite interesting looking back at where it is was then and where it is now, which is a completely different uh, different scenery. Yeah, so and that was in the double wall garden. You did that just probably before the archaeological digs there and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we're actually sat in a room in the Science Centre right now, and the boxing them boxes over there, Bob. Oh, right, there yeah. There are uh, archaeological remains from the Double Wall Garden I'll dug up at that time. Let's so. have a look at those sometimes. <laughs> the garden has lots of little nooks and crannies, a bit like Wales. Mm, and yes. We're finding all these little old remains here and there. So you did that for, uh, did you do it regularly? Was it a monthly thing, weekly we thing? We were or? doing it, um, we were doing members only and invited people walks and talks, um, probably on a monthly monthly basis and it was it was a good way of learning about the garden because we had to learn 
about what the garden was, what it had been, and what it was going to be. And I remember the second lake down from the gatehouse, you could almost walk across the mud there. There was uh, It was uh, completely different to what it is oh, now. Oh, mind you, last summer you could have walked yes. across there in the mud. Cause we had- yeah. <laughs> but other jobs I've done, uh, when we had um, problems in the early 2000s, uh, all the volunteers were doing all sorts of jobs outside their comfort zone. Uh, and one of my jobs was to get here early in the morning and use the floor scrubbing machine to do the great glass house and the reason I was doing it because I was the biggest uh, person <laughs> and that was my first job get here about half seven and uh, do that is that all the, on the, the concourse all yeah, around the edges because yeah. at the time if you remember the, the pathways to the great glass house were they doubt it's they were quite realistic, but they actually ended up chucking loads of dust everywhere. Didn't they? That's right. Yes, um, the I remember after a couple of years, the dust from the gravel paths had got up onto the glass, and they had to get all sorts of machinery in to scrub it. And I think somebody then must have said, "Well, we're going to have to get rid of the gravel paths because they are causing more problems." Yeah, a nice idea. Was that a Catherine Gustafson uh, um, yes, idea? I think because she did the landscaping, didn't she? <laughs> yeah. the, a lovely idea, but didn't quite work. <laughs> Everything else is really lovely there, but um, yeah. I think we had. I think we finally did the pass properly. Yeah. probably about fifteen years ago now. So you're doing all those different things, Bob. But eventually, you were kind of drawn towards the apothecary hall. Can you remember how that sort of like took? I can't really remember how it happened. I know that I was introduced to Professor Terry Turner, who had been instrumental in setting it up in the first place, and there were a couple of other volunteers who are members of the Welsh Herbal Society, and I became fascinated by really early 20th century plant medicines and the realization that a lot of the plant medicines are also plant poisons and I then took it the next step about the mythology and I suddenly found out that the more mythology about a plant there is the more likely it is to be either very useful or very dangerous (laughs) and over the over the years that started to become the basis of the talks you know the dark side of plants and things like that I like that Uh, just just for people who haven't been here before and might not know the apothecary hall is kind of in the center of the botanic garden and it's an old uh, barn which has been converted into uh, three different rooms, but essentially mainly a recreated old chemist shop. And uh, I always get confused where all the objects have come from. Could you just give us a little bit of a background about that, Bob? Well, uh, they've come from all over the place. Um, the woodwork came from a chemist in uh, North Wales, Anglesey, I remember, that uh, they'd retired. And uh, the option was was to sell their chemist as it was in which case the people who took it over would have converted it to blue glass and chrome like a modern chemist shop. And they had a bright idea because they knew Terry Turner of uh, making a donation. So most of the woodwork came from there. And there was a little bit of carpentry to fit it in. Um, uh, where the television screen is, for instance, is a new piece that's been added to fit everything in. Yeah. Um, Professor Turner had an awful lot in his role as um, plant uh, medicines scientist, he had an awful lot in his own collection, which has worked its way in. From Cardiff University. Now, I've got to get me Cardiff right here. Is it Cardiff University School of Pharmacy? Is that the right? I'm not sure. Okay. I used to, if I if I was meeting him in Cardiff, I used to go up to the university. So um, I think it was a school of pharmacy. Yeah. 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 Um, and bit by bit, he's brought a lot of his stuff in. But over the years, I've been allowed to go out, and if I see something cheap on eBay or something like that, or in a market, uh, providing it's really cheap, I can I can buy it. Uh, but I'm not allowed to spend too much. But I have done occasionally, and then I've 
cheated a little bit because a lot of the labels and things like that were actually things I'd made. Uh, a lot of the glass <laughs> labels on the drawers behind the counter, when I got involved with it, most of them were missing or broken. And then over the years, I've evolved a technique with a lot of um, mistakes on the way of making up uh, glass labels so they look a little bit original. Uh, I've done a lot of the labels on bottles of mine, and uh, there's quite a load of things that I've added. Uh, things that I've added as a result of talking to visitors. We mentioned something about an Agatha Christie story, and I, I said something fairly disparate disparaging about Agatha Christie and the person I was talking to said well Agatha Christie was actually a pharmacist so her plant knowledge her medicine knowledge was quite quite good so I did a little bit of research and I found out this is really brilliant so I started looking at poisons that Agatha Christie mentions in her books plant poison and I've got a shelf of them now uh, including things that some people haven't heard of, but I've got the name of the book and the plant poison is actually there. So I can say that was in that story. So that's how th things happen. Um, a friend of mine that I bought some stuff off, he said to me when he visited, he said, why don't you contact Vocal Zones? Because there's a link with Enrico Caruso. You know, he was in Wales and... Uh, the old, this is the old opera singer from... Yeah. I say old opera singer. So yeah. all of a sudden there was a link there and I found out a friend of mine who's trying a career in music uses vocal zones. So I thought, well, wrote to vocal zones and they sent me back from free samples and I thought, well, we've got a little cabinet with those in now. So this is how ideas come into my mind and I thought, let's apply that and do something. You yourself have been responsible for a couple. Um, you mentioned about your scientist friend who was doing the use of grass in medicine and... Yeah. Yeah, application. Yeah, yeah. So I've got. A, a this is shelf. a lane for libus, isn't it? Yeah. I've got a shelf with um, a malt extract and cod liver oil and things like that, which are all, no, not so much cod liver oil. Various things, um, rye grass and wheat and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and my piece de resistance is something I use a lot of. I've got a bamboo, a piece of bamboo tube which will hold a scalpel. Now, I do this at home. I use bamboo tubes for holding knives and things like that. So you've got a shelf full of grass-based applications there. So this is how ideas come out. I love that. And also we've had students as well from uh, College Sogar as well doing various projects, and they come and see you. Oh, that was they, wonderful. That was, oh, uh, was that? They, they took over the hall. Uh, they did, and they left a few samples behind afterwards uh, in Alware that they'd done. Um, and I find that people who use the hall for this, they get into the, the, the feel of it, fairly quickly and uh, I couldn't believe that they'd made all this stuff it was uh, pretty awesome yeah and that, uh, that's the thing I think where you've done so well here Bob and again let's just reflect what if, as you walk into the apothecary hall as you walk into the chemist shop on the left hand side there's a big counter on uh, to your side there are these these called the drug run drawers yeah. we'll talk about them in a minute uh, and on the right hand side are big glass cabinets with all these wonderfully shaped bottles uh, which can tell you also about whether or not they're poisonous or not and you can almost see medicine through time. You get some other decorative bottles that used to be put in the shop windows of a chemist with all these amazing colours in there and uh, the whole place feels like it's from another age but this is from an age when you go to the chemist and most your, most your uh, recipes or the treatments you get are plant-based which was almost like until the Second World War, wasn't it? Like 90% almost was to do with plants. Yeah, I think um, after Victorian times uh, or during Victorian times, we were going towards more, if I shall say, um, 
metalloid uh, metalloid elements and compounds. Uh, you know, mercury compounds appeared an awful lot in medicine about that time, as it still does. But mercury compound is one that's rather frowned upon these days, uh, and people try to look. We're now going back to plant medicines more and more. Uh, and bear in mind that a lot of the medicines that uh, were used anyway were derived from plants in the first place. Yeah. And actually, we've got some, a very early uh, aspirin bottle. That was only manufactured from originally, uh, it was inspired by Meadowsweet and Willow, wasn't it? And, yeah. uh, and people from <coughs> thousands of years ago. But it was only kind of manufactured in the 1890s, and so we've got representations of that. Yes, so. we've got representations of uh, aspirin. One of my favourite bottles in that part of it is uh, Dover's powder, which... Um, Dr. Dover, well, I, I've written a little bit of article about You've it. You've written several blogs, yeah, yeah. Just so anyone knows what's uh, about and these. Dr. Dover, about 1700s, a Bristol doctor was bored and bought himself a part share on a privateer, which is really government-licensed piracy. Uh, and oh. one of the things he did was discover a guy called Alexander Selkirk, who became the basis for the story of Robinson Crusoe. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, he produced a medicine called Dover's Powder, plant-based, yes, uh, it contained opium. Now, to stop people overdosing on opium, it also contained ipecacuana, which will make you vomit if you overdose <laughs> on it. So this is a pill that would be a painkiller, sort out headaches, aches and sprains, all sorts of things. But if you overdosed on it, you'd lose your stomach contents. That's great. I mean, you are, you're a bit of a walking encyclopedia of these things, Bob. And I, I think we've both enjoyed the poison side as well. Mm. Like you showed me once some henbane and told me about Dr. Crippin. Yeah, uh, the Crippin thing has always fascinated me because there's been an awful lot of books. There's another one that's been released recently. Um, uh, Crippin uh, basically was accused of killing his wife. Uh, he bought the, um, the henbane, um, the, the stuff, I forget the uh, medical term of it. He bought it uh, a few weeks beforehand and she was eventually found dead in a cellar. Now, there is a story that was spread around in about the 60s by an American doctor who said that he'd obtained tissue samples from Scotland Yard, he'd done DNA research on them, and it wasn't even a woman. That's fine, so far so good. It does beg the question, who was there? I was lucky enough, some years later, to speak to a forensic scientist from Scotland Yard. And yeah. she laughed and she said, we've heard the story. We would never, ever give tissue samples to a third party. If they want research doing, they come to us and they, you know, we, you know, they tell us what right. they, you know. So the story, which has re resurfaced again in another book, it's not true. As far as I'm concerned, it was his wife. Now, you've been very happy to chat to anybody who comes in. So you've many a time donned the garb of an old apothecary. People come in probably quite shocked to see someone like almost like a living exhibit there. Oh, yeah. Um, now, I have a mannequin wearing a 1930s pharmacy frock, and um, she's been there some time, and I've been in the habit of putting a small loudspeaker in her pocket, <laughs> and uh, I've got sounds that basically it goes, oh, so many poor... Yeah, it's really silly sounds. And I was in there one day, and maintenance were doing some work the other side of the counter. And um, I was around the back dressed up as the old apothecary and I was looking at something, obviously fairly still, because when I stood up, this maintenance guy nearly dropped his drill. <laughs> so that was quite funny, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you, you, you know, occasionally a crow will appear. There has been a crow there, um, which uh, appears on a, a children's t a trail. Um, I actually 
I'm silly enough to call it Quoth, the Raven, <laughs> Nevermore, from the Edgar Allan Poe. But it's really a crow. It's appeared all over the place. <laughs> and there's a, a, a very striking uh, skeleton as well. The skeleton yeah, uh, is my own that I, I brought in because I have to be honest, two reasons. It's a useful place to keep it because, uh, you know, having, having it around the house is uh, probably not the best idea. But also it adds value to it and we can have a little bit of fun. And the children have loved it. You know, having a photograph taken of the skeleton is, uh, is quite a little fun. Yeah, I think it probably evokes a little scream every now and again. I but like I it. I like screams <laughs> in the apocalypse. Uh, and talking of which, Harry Potter has also inspired you as well and, and to do a bit of a display. Well, Yeah. <laughs> I was a wizard at a book signing some time ago with As you are. with Cheryl Beer, yeah, uh, yeah. and um, one of the one of the people had said, "I know you're doing um, the apothecary shop. Would you like some mugwort?" Which I'd never actually heard much of, but she had a bag of it in the car, so I have mugwort in a jar now. It's used for mild treatments. It's not a. It's not. It's not poison enough for my liking. Got distinctive smell. A distinctive it? smell, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then before that, another. Uh, somebody had met me and said, oh, would you be interested in some mandrake roots? Well, mandrake features a lot in Harry Potter, and it's got an awful lot of mythology. Um, I could talk for hours about mandrake, about um, why the roots sometimes look like two people in an act of love. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's got all sorts of uh, things. And I always say to people when the mandrakes are in there, if people are walking by, I say, don't have bad thoughts by the mandrake because it emanates into me at the rest. You know, I have to live with it for the rest of the day. And then I found out quite by accident, there is a herb called hogwort. And uh, the writer of the Harry Potter story says that she, was, she hadn't been aware of it, but she was a regular visitor to the Natural, Natural Science Museum, and she must have seen Hogwarts, and it's registered with her for the name of the school. So um, I did a little bit of digging. It was used in medicine. It produces croton oil, which is vaguely, very carefully used for skin infections, but is likely to cause more problems because it can be corrosive to skin. So although it's got a use in medicine, it's no longer used. So you've got hogwort and um, mandrake in the same cabinet. But do you know, Bob, I've, been, I've walked through there and I've seen kids looking at that and go, oh, wow, it's a really great way of engaging visitors, to, particularly younger visitors who, this is quite a foreign environment now, isn't it? See yeah. the chemist line. I mean, <coughs> yeah. there's hardly... Any chemi- all the chemists I used to know that look like this have all gone now, as you say, yeah. all converted to chrome and so on. So for a child, it's, it's kind of like, a, a, like walking into another world, and, which is both fascinating, but when they can see this sort of little connection to Harry Potter, yeah. I think that's, it yeah. works a treat. <clears throat> and uh, you've got such a uh, catalogue of stories inside your head. Well... I actually say, Bruce, I only know about a dozen things in there. You know, there's a dozen things I can confidently go to and say this, that, and the other. And if I've got anybody there working with me who's hoping to take over, I says, I know about 12. There's about a 1,000 in here. There's a 1,000 stories that I don't know. It's just fascinating. The whole, the whole, the myth, the, the, the poisons, the stories, the, you know, I just love it. It's fascinating to me. Yeah, and, and between us, Bob, over the years, we've been... I mean, you've been doing a lot of that, but I've, I've put in a little few things myself, and we've had help along the way from people like Gareth as well, yeah. along the way, and putting in little bits of interpretation so you can open some of those like drug run doors, uh, drawers, which is a great name, drug run, and you can actually open them up and see the actual uh, material that would have been given to uh, 
customers when they came in, and there's little stories inside there, and the smells are in there as well. Well, I'll tell you a little secret here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of those materials in there aren't actually genuine. Um, if I'm after root of something to go in there, uh, I will go to the woods at the back of the uh, back of the garden uh, with a small knife and take bark chippings or whatever. So there's an awful lot of things of uh, for safety reasons and for convenience. I'm not going to get strychnine root anywhere, am I? No, no, I, I appreciate that. That's a, but you did me a real favour there, Walt. I was once asked to give a uh, a Christmas talk to a wildlife group, and I wanted a bit of interactivity. And you gave me some frankincense oh, yes, and myrrh, yeah. which I then uh, took along my spoon to the talk. Got me a little light underneath it. It was almost like free basing the. Uh, Frankincense and myrrh, and the sm- wow, the smell from that yeah. is really popular. Yeah, not big fan of myrrh, but frankincense is just amazing smell. Frankincense has got a very strong smell, and it was used extensively in medicine in the in the Middle East and everywhere else. Really, um, it's there are stories that it's got a receptor that attaches to the same parts of the brain that the cannabis oil uh, THC will actually do. Yeah. That's been unproved, but. It might go some way to explaining why it was restricted to royalty in some parts of the world. A, it was very expensive to tra- you know, to, to transport. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's medicinally, it was quite important and it would make you feel happy. And the embalmers used it as well. One use would be if you're in an Egyptian embalming chamber, um, you want it to smell nice and you want to kill bugs. And frankincense smoke will kill bugs and it's going to smell nice. So there's another use for frankincense. And what do we do with the um, the thing I thought was absolutely wonderfully gross and uh, bizarre was the um, and I can't even remember what it is now, Bob. So just bear with me. It's the it's the stuff that is vomited up by a whale. Oh, ambergris. Yeah, <laughs> uh, ambergris has got a very very to me erotic aroma, and it's used as a fixative in perfumes because of that because it's got this erotic aroma but when i'm sniffing a perfume i keep thinking to myself this has got whale vomit in it it's just so <laughs> bizarre isn't it and well it's, it's well vomit that washes up on the beach or yeah something it, like it, it, it fetches a fantastic price on the market uh, but at the end of the day it's whale sick <laughs> <laughs> who thought that all? Yeah. and i love the way that these sort of these must have traditions going back hundreds and hundreds of years which ended up in our chemist shops yeah. in the 20th century with somebody at some point must have decided to stick the finger in the well vomit and do something with it and and then ascribe some property. I'm well, not- years and years ago, you didn't have much in the medicine except folklore, and you would try whatever was to hand. Uh, I've come across some really obscure things that have got a basis in fact, but you certainly wouldn't use them uh, nowadays. I'll give you a gross example. Uh, using cow dung on a septic wound. Yeah. Now, you wouldn't even think about this nowadays, but if that's all they had and they're on a farm, yeah, wallop some on. But it contains ammonia. If it's, uh, it's been allowed to settle, it will have ammonia in it, which actually will help the wound. Yeah. You'll probably get a secondary infection, but um, the first infection will have gone. So uh, these people, you're trying everything that's available and see what works best. And one of the most popular things, and one thing that got you a real reputation here, Bob, is that you brought in live leeches, didn't you? Oh, I love the live leeches. And I'm just going to say here that uh, as part of the celebration, not celebration of your retirement, Bob, that sounds terrible, but the as to mark your, <laughs> your retirement, uh, our wonderful uh, volunteer uh, leader, J- 
Jane down here has made you a leech cake this morning. That was rather wonderful, and it was a bit of a surprise. Cherry's inside. Not a bit of a surprise, it was a major surprise. And I'm going to miss the leeches. I got into that quite by accident. Um, I met somebody socially, and uh, she mentioned that she worked at the leech farm. And I thought, leeches, that's a good idea. So I got in touch with her and said, can I borrow some? And it became a regular thing, uh, you know, certainly for Halloween and various times of the year. I would borrow the leeches for a month. I became quite knowledgeable about looking after them. Uh, one thing, a little leech handler's trick, uh, I would eat an orange beforehand and rub the skin over my hands because the smell of the citrus is actually as a deterrent. So if you've got them on your hand, they're trying to get away from you rather than bite there's a little oh, secret that's there. Handy. A little okay. secret of the trade. Do you reckon that'll work down the Amazon jungle if you ever got lost? Uh, probably not. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the European blood sucking <laughs> and medicinal leech, which is uh, which I, I know enough to trust, but uh, any other leech I'd be a bit reluctant to. Okay. And they're still used in medicine. Um, they were used in Victorian times for fashion. Uh, you would go to the barbers and have a dozen leeches put on. Um, a leech typically will take about uh, the equivalent volume-wise, about two tots of whiskey max, you know, what with bleeding afterwards and everything like that. And there are some ailments where that will help, but the majority of ailments it was used for in those days, it wouldn't help at all. But there are practical leeches. There's a certain heart condition, there's open-heart surgery, where to stop clots forming, they will actually put leeches on. Uh, There's a throat infection thing where I read they put leeches on the inside of the throat. So they are used quite a lot in medicine, and they're sent around the world from Hendy. Did you um, ever put any on any visitors who came in? No. Is that because it's a little bit health and safety dodgy? It's not so much health and safety, it's sympathy. Uh, once the leech has drawn blood, it has to be destroyed. And that's health and safety because it might, you know, it might yeah. have taken some blood that's got an infection in it. So any, once the leech has drawn blood, it is destroyed. So as a matter of safety for the leeches, I will not let them go near anybody else. I know enough about them not to get bitten. That's fascinating. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, so much knowledge you take. I'm telling you my secrets now. Right? <laughs> I might have to give you a phone call every now and again because I think there's an awful lot I'm going to be forgetting about. I'm happy with that. <laughs> but you've um, over the years as well, apart from adding to the collections, chatting to visitors, you've also taken part in several events here, and we, because we we tried to do um, a series of events over several years called Medicines in May, where we tried to. Uh, engage people with the collections that we've got both in the apothecary hall and the apothecary garden which is the live collection of plants next door and uh, you quite happy dressed up for half of these things and the fungus days as well didn't you you've come for those. oh yes i've done all these things so, yeah so, so, so it gives yeah. a bit of a flavor yeah what have you dressed up as over the years okay um working with um I think Gerald Beer, it might have been again. We did the Rebecca riots, and I was dressed up as Rebecca. <laughs> so uh, that's a, a men dressed up as women with, yeah. who burnt down the toll bridges. Yeah, with a, with a fiery torch, and, and, yeah. and, and that was quite a load of fun. Again, starting with Gerald, I've been a pirate. And, oh, yeah. Uh, we, we did a, a, and I've done pirate events for the garden as well. Uh, I've dressed up as a Merlin type character. Uh, that's been tied up with the apothecary shop and a Victorian a pharmacist, Victorian apothecary. Of which you can see a picture on the uh, main podcast. Indeed you can. You. There's also one on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a bit, there's actually a big picture of you on the outside Absolutely, of the apothecary yeah. hall and the wall garden, if anyone wants to see what you look like <laughs> there as well. That, that's great. And the, I seem to remember one of the... Um, we did a fungus day together and you... 
Uh, I think you dressed up as the Wizards. Nice. I seem to remember you were making little explosions going off places, Bob. What was going on there? Yeah, um, I was one of those kids at school that once I discovered chemicals that interacted uh, fairly violently with each other, uh, I'm into that in a big way. And uh, I've made nothing dangerous, but uh, small amounts of uh, stuff that will explode. Uh, not a loud bang. It's a little pop rather than a bang. <laughs> uh, and a discovery that certain chemicals that I can mix together that uh, about a minute later will burst into flame. Uh, I've had those going in that. The kids like that because they see me mixing it together and I do this outside. And they say after about 30 seconds, it hasn't worked, he's failed. And I just keep talking and then a big flash appears. <laughs> That's yeah, great. I've had a load of fun with that. And, and over the years, you've also worked with some really interesting uh, other volunteers and other people we've been working with. Do you want to just say a little bit about who the people you've, you particularly enjoyed working with? <coughs> and of course, you're going to oh. miss someone out. And I do Am I allowed to mention names? Yeah, please do, yeah. Well... In no particular order, Jeanette Hill, who I work with on various projects here, then with the Gateway Garden projects, going out, taking people who wouldn't normally go out to outside gardens. And this includes elderly and all sorts of people. Uh, we had quite a blast with that. And that was about 2005. Uh, Nicola D. Kelly, who helped me a lot in the apothecary hall because she's a herbal medicine person, yeah. uh, now working up in Scotland. Uh, she and I got on like brother and sister. We really got yeah, on Yeah, you're cool. a good double act. Uh, well, yeah. Barbara Griffiths, we've had a, a load yeah. of fun with, again, on the same wavelength as Barbara uh, and she was a nurse in the First World War hospital if I remember rightly indeed, yeah. walking around or even cycling around with a vote for women sign which I found <laughs> oh that was that was that was one of our fun days out now we'd all work together in various guises and we didn't really need to discuss too much what we were going to do we just had a brief outline and my job was to disrupt their meetings and I was blowing a bugle I was shouted over them and eventually they chased me around the garden and it must have looked like a Benny Hill sketch because the idea was not to catch me so we're chasing around the garden and threatening me and they were going to throw me in the lakes if they'd caught me and, and the, 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 all of us who were involved with that uh, I've left out a couple of names and I'm sorry if I've left you out well, <laughs> and I've noticed Bob that on some of those events as well you had like guided tours that were coming through I think there's a whole big group of Americans sort of came across you both just larking around. Yeah. And you then started to sing to them. Yeah, that was, um, that was a 1914, 1915 uh, event, and I, I was playing right. on the banjo lady. And um, I was just doing songs from the period then, which uh, they, they seemed to think was pretty cool. You know? so, yeah, it's... Um, you know, I've met some really wonderful visitors, and you know, everybody I've met here, but the visitors have uh, really made it for me. Because I've enjoyed it, because you... you you, you were coming in like almost once a week, weren't you? At least once a week, yeah. yeah. Uh, usually a Wednesday, and uh, I try to spend a day here. And it was good because um, I've done a lot of maintenance in the apothecary hall. There's uh, little things like locks on the cupboards, uh, split wood. Uh, my repair kit for split wood involves the wooden tea stirrers from the kitchen. You know, yeah, they're very thin, and I can actually slice them down. So if I've got a slit in the piece of wood, put that in, glue it in with wood glue. Uh, sand it down, then then dye it, and you won't even see the joint. So uh, I'm quite pleased with some of the repairs I've done in there. I think you precariously went up a ladder once to do the um, those beautiful, wonderful jar, big circular jars that you get in the windows of. Possibly, yeah, and uh, which are usually coloured. 
in really vivid colours, like a pinks and greens yeah. and so on. <clears throat> so you, you did that, and I can't remember how you did that. Now. Yeah. Okay. First of all, the as you know, because you've helped me, it's difficult. To, you you need a ladder, and you need at least two people for safety. Yeah. Um, the ones on top by the clock. With a big ladder, you can actually carry them down. Now, years ago, when I when I got involved with this, the colouring was uh, food dye and a little bit of um, disinfectant to stop it deteriorating with the bugs and everything like that that would get yeah. in uh, because it's organic. Uh, I found out that the life expectancy of this, particularly the reds, was about six months max before it started to go really yucky off off red you're really um yeah. and i experimented as luck would have it i found on ebay a whole batch of clothes dyes very very cheap and i thought i'll try these and i found the clothes dyes and i tried them at home for several months first they last forever you know so the the, the red clothes dye one that you put you and i put up there yeah. i haven't changed that since Oh my God, that's years, right? Yeah. Okay. So, and I've I've also helped out people who've got um, similar things to the apothecary hall on various uh, places around the UK, and I've sent them small test tubes full of uh, the uh, the red and the blue in particular, and we've still got enough to last us for twenty years. Ah, uh, that that's really really good because that you know that there's a there is a network of people across the uh, yeah. UK who are interested in older uh, phar- pharmacies. And it's very important that we keep that going as well, yeah. those sort of links. Uh, but we've also had people who've been bringing in objects from chemist shops that have been closing down. Well, as a, we, we not, not regularly, but every now and again we get a, a, a message through saying, oh, do you want stuff? And, of course, we haven't got any storage here. So everything we have, we have to put it on display, don't yeah. we? Uh, the most recent thing I had, which was worthy of note, I think, is a cigarette tin, a large cigarette tin, um, a about eight inches by six um, and a bit deeper. Uh, and apparently, cigarettes were sold in chemist shop, apothecary shop, because tobacco is very good for your health. I've seen the I've seen the devices down there which you get you to smoke for asthma. Yeah. So, um, oh, the the asthma thing. I've sometimes asked that one of the oddest things I've got down there, and there's quite a lot of odd things down there. Uh, Potter's herbal smoking mixture for asthma strikes me as the, um, it's got to be an odd one. Nowadays, we wouldn't even countenance smoking for asthma. But when I thought about it and I started looking into it, it contains the, an extract from the seeds of a plant called Dutura stramonium, which has got a bit of a bad press, yeah. which is a very useful muscle relaxant. So there's no difference between taking a muscle relaxant in an inhaler or taking it in a cigarette, except the inhaler is going to have less side effects. <laughs> well, did, did, as, a, as a child asthmatic, uh, the only treatment I had when I was a very young lad was burning cold tar. In yeah. The room, which yeah. is a slight similar thing, really. It's quite likely that you would have had, over a period of time, at least on one occasion, uh, extract from Deuterostromonium. Right. Yeah, it's got some side effects. It can start to make you a little bit almost as symptoms could be almost Alzheimer's, uh, you know, loss of memory. And, uh, you know, there's lots of silly things, which is why it's not prescribed a lot, but it still can be prescribed. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things you will get over it you know, if you stop. But okay. uh, it's, a, a, it's, a, it's too useful a plant to throw away. And you've also had donations from uh, chemist shops around 
this this area of Wales. I've had Carmarthen. I've had uh, a lot from the chemist shop in Carmarthen, whose name I can't remember. Is that the one in King Street? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, quite a lot from there. Uh, I had a few bits and pieces from Kieft's chemist in Swansea in Mounselton, uh, and they're on display. And together with um, some medals that uh, Mr. Kieft got for his uh, pharmacy things, and a picture of his uh, his certificate is in the in, in the first hall. Is his. Um, exam certificate and things like that yeah. so yeah we do get um, little bits and pieces from local chemists and you got interest well, we had a visit from the Wellcome Trust one day and they found the little cabinet didn't <laughs> yeah they? we've got a display cabinet with uh, small bottles in it now these years ago small bottles of small tablets were called they were called tabloids uh, this is long before the press got hold of it and they, they were tabloids small tablets and we've got a display case there including a, which is Dover's powders and one or two other things and we had a contact from uh, the Wellcome Foundation to say could you take photos we think yours is the best example ever now oh. I won't say that I've, I will say that I've cheated occasionally I've seen stuff on eBay a tabloid ball and they ridiculously cheap uh, so that will go in there uh, once or twice I had to make a label up as well but um, the, they were quite delighted with our tabloid case uh, and Akabilk as well he's got if anyone, so for the for the younger listeners here who don't remember the clarinetist jazz clarinetist Akabilk yeah. stranger well, on the shore he's got a link here as a well a friend of mine John Jenkins in Ponte de Lies, whose family have kept a tobacco shop tobacco shop um, for a long long time uh, he asked me if I'd be interested in a till. Now, the till is a wooden box with a paper roll on it, and you open the wooden box, it slides out, and you put your money in, take the change out, and you write down on this white piece of paper what you've sold, and then at the end of the day, you take this piece of paper out, and this is your, you know, what you ordered, do I need to order this? This is my, what I should have in the till. Now, apparently, in the 60s, Akabilk had been playing at Tenby, and his minivan arrives outside, they were after cigarettes and pop, and <laughs> Akabilk was absolutely delighted about this wooden till that goes ting when you open it. So... Ackerbilt went behind the counter and he was opening this box and serving customers under supervision uh, for quite a while. Everybody's shouting to him, come on, get back in the bus, get back in the bus. Yeah. So uh, we've got a little bit of history with Ackerbilt there as well. <laughs> I like that. And you've also got a little bit of secret information that you gathered, I think, from the visitor, from one of the visitors, uh, which is missed. Can you, oh, yes, indeed. What does Miss mean? This, uh, the gentleman's name is uh, Morton, and I remember the name very well because the, the debt collector in Last of Summer Wine was called Morton, and it's a name that stuck in my mind. And he was a contemporary of Professor Turner's, and he came in here one day, and he was very fond of leaving me little um, queries, and sometimes I get the answer there and then. But he looks and he says, you have not got Missed ADT. You've got to have that in here. So I started, he went for coffee and I started looking it up through the old medical book. I couldn't find any reference. No internet in those days in the hall, so yeah, I yeah. might have found it there. He came back. I said, Morton, I cannot find missed ADT. I said, I know missed means mixture. What the devil does ADT mean? He says, it means any damn thing. <laughs> ah, yes, he says... Um, if the doctor used to give me a code for the person who was a time waster, I used to mix this up. It would have um, something to make them go to the toilet and something to make them something to make it smell bad. So if it smells bad and makes you poo, it's doing you the world of good. <laughs> so I've now got a jar labelled Mist ADT. And now I don't know whether I'm allowed to say this next bit. 
About a year later, a lady comes in and she looks around and she says, um, oh, what you haven't got in here is uh, Polv um, AFT. I knew Polv means pills or powder. Oh, my God. Uh, and I knew straight away that AFT was a much ruder form of <laughs> ADT. <laughs> Did you, you didn't tell her? Well, she, I, I said, I know what that means. <laughs> I worked it out. Yeah, ADT, AFT. Right. Yeah. See, I do meet some interesting people there. Um, and talking about your wordplay, you have been known to brandish guitar or ukulele or whatever the uh, variant musical instruments you've had there, Bob. And over the years, obviously, you're a big, you big fan of Jake Thackeray and that sort of Jack Brel style of singing. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And uh, you've serenaded. Uh, no, that's not probably the right word, isn't it? Uh, yeah. What's the right word? Oh, serenade would do. Um, the children like it. That in fact, I used to keep a ukulele in there. And a couple of children used to come in with their mother just so they could borrow ukulele and have a session here, which is a really good fun. I've played various instruments in there. The banjo lelies appeared a lot. It's a, it's a historic, it's an antique instrument, and I enjoy playing it because it, it looks good at the end of the day. So it's a mixture between a banjo and a ukulele. Yeah, right, yeah. okay. It's, it's, it's what George Formby used to play. All right. But um, my number one instrument is the, is the acoustic guitar. Uh, I feel much more comfortable with that. And you've been very kind, Bob, that you are going to play us out today well, just with a little few uh, notes from your guitar. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the one other thing I'm really going to miss. I can't think of another volunteer we've had here who so readily gives themselves over to perform for our visitors, to not only tell stories to engage them in so many rich ways about the, what we do here at the Botanic Garden, but also to play them out. I mean, that is pretty rich, and I'm going to really miss that. Well, thank you very and much. And I'm really going to miss you, Bob, as well, because I've been here for quite a long time, and obviously you've been here all that time. So um, I can't call you like a, a comfortable pair of slippers because you're a bit more rich than that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you will be missed by many, many people, Bob. Well, thank, thank you, you very for much. for all your years of support. You will see me again. I'll be coming in as a member. And uh, as I've said before, um, if you want me to come in for any, any event, I'm more than happy to do it. Uh, I just can't do eight hours a month anymore. That's fine, mate. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Bruce. Black and yellow, yellow and black. Four small wings upon their back Always ready to attack Small villains of the garden Picnics, parties, all fair game Floral perfumes gets the blame Simply swat, it's such a shame Small monsters of the garden But now the swatting's turned quite sour Cause bees don't visit every flower Wasps also have the pollen power Small saviours of the garden Wasps also have the pollen power Small saviours of the garden Wasps also have the pollen power